Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. In today's times, life seems overwhelming for so many people. And in my practice as a mental health therapist, I see many who are overwhelmed, stuck, anxious, depressed, depressed more so than before, and often at a younger age. So what's going on? Why have we lost the joy in life? Or have we lost our way? I remember laughing so much more as a young person. So today's guest is here to tell us a little bit more about how we can find the joy in our life that we seem to have lost. Shannon Kaiser is the best-selling author of five books on the psychology of happiness and fulfillment, including the number one bestseller, The Self-Love Experiment and Adventures for Your Soul. As an international life coach, a speaker, and a retreat leader, she helps people trust and believe in themselves so they can live their highest potential. Her newest book is The Joy Seeker, and I'm excited to have Shannon here with me to help us bring back the joy in our lives. Welcome, Shannon, and thank you so much for joining me today on Perspectives. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I have enjoyed reading your book. I love the way it's laid out, and I can't wait for you to share with us how all of this came to be. And um, so I'd love it if you could start by telling us a little bit about your story and what brought you to write this book. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you said this is my fifth book and all my books are on happiness and getting unstuck. And so some people are like, okay, I thought you had this joy thing kind of nailed like in the bag, right? Like you're, <laughs> you're the, you are the joy seeker. And, I, it, and it's beautiful that that is kind of the thought process, but really what joy seeking is about, it's about learning what, what matters most to us. And it's about letting go of what's holding us back so we can live the life we're made for. And in my own personal life, the concept for the book and really the work stepping into the joy seeker process and the journey came to me during one of the saddest times in my life when I lost my best friend who was a golden retriever. He was a rescue dog and he died of old age. And it's interesting because, you know, whether it's a pet, a family member, um, grief is grief. But what I realized through my grief is that up until that point in my life, I was looking outside of myself for happiness Because I had adopted Tucker eight years prior when I was diagnosed with clinical depression. I was in a different career. It's before I started writing. And when he came into my life, I found my purpose and passion. I left that job, became a writer and a coach, and I found self-love. So I felt like my life transformed with him in it. So when he passed away, a part of me died that day. And through that grief, I realized that I have to learn how to rely on nothing outside of myself, but instead find the joy within in order to keep going. And that's what led to where I am today and the book being out in the world. That's wonderful. And I have to um, tell you how I appreciate what you're saying about the grief associated with losing your best friend that was your dog, because I think we underestimate, and I work with a lot of children, and so I think adults often underestimate the grief associated with losing a pet, not only for ourselves as adults, but also for children, because I think... Children also get very attached, and animals have um, 
we have relationships with them that are quite strong. And um, that whole concept of you said you found your passion when you got Tucker is that, you know, like the two sort of were connected. So when you lost one, did you then feel like you lost your passion at the same time in the grief? Well, that's a great kind of observation because it's, I, I agree with you about the power of, you know, grief and no matter what age we are, we really recognize that a loss is a loss. And for me, I, I did, I had to actually go inward and I questioned myself, who are you really? You know, I was very, I love, love writing. And up until that point, I thought it was my purpose and it is my passion. But what I learned when I stepped into the joy seeker journey, I call it a journey because I went into a real journey. I spent a whole year dedicated to joy after that because through my grief, I started to do research and I read a study that said the number one regret of the dying is that I wish I would have lived a life true to myself, not one others expected of me, followed by I wish I would have allowed myself to be happier. So when I read that, I realized so many of us are living for other people and we're making choices that we don't really want to make. And then I asked myself, what have you always wanted to do, but haven't given yourself permission to do? And I think that's a key word we can, we can all ask ourselves, no matter what stage in your life you're at, permission, give yourself permission to be you. And my inner voice said travel for a full year. That was the biggest dream in my heart of hearts. And so when I went inward, I really recognized that my purpose was to be authentic to me and, and show up more fully for myself. It's not what you do. So my writing is my passion. And I think some of us we question our purpose in times of change. And what I went through is redefining what success means to me, redefining what purpose is. So it was actually through my grief was one of the most beautiful blessings in disguise. And I didn't even know it at the time. So now I have a much more balanced relationship with my passion and purpose, you know? <laughs> so, so you talk about passion and purpose separately. And I think that's also very interesting because sometimes or we often tell people follow your passion because that is intertwined with your purpose or it is your purpose. So the way you're talking about it, it sounds like you're saying that passion and purpose are, can be two very different things. Is that, have I understood you correctly? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I've done a lot of work on this and with my coaching and the research and the psychology of it too, because I, I really believe that we live so much in a world that tells you, you need to find your purpose. And that puts extra anxiety on us. Yes. It, um, you know, before I came to be a writer and a coach, I, I was clinically depressed and anxious in part because of that pressure. I knew I was doing something that I didn't love. And I was like, Oh, I don't know what I want to do. And it, it, it adds up in, inside of us. And, and so I actually realized in my own journey, if I can take off the pressure to find my purpose, because mm -hmm. the real thing is the purpose is already within us and the purpose isn't what we do. That is our passion. So yeah, I do separate them now because I truly see and believe that our purpose is really so much bigger than what we do. What we do is part of our creative expression and that ultimately to be true to ourselves, to expand into more love, to you know, know who you are at a soul level. I feel that is our purpose, and how we get there is very different. You know, it, we're not defined by just what we do. So then, your passion is how you live out your purpose. 
Yeah, I think so. And I think our passion is what we do. And I talk in the Joy Seeker book about a lot of us aren't living with as much passion as we really want. We know what we think might make us happy, or sometimes we don't know. But what we do know is there may be a time in your life when you did feel total bliss, total happiness. And I often say, and you probably say this in your practice too, go back to when you were a child. When when did you feel like your best self? What were you doing? Right. And that's actually what I did. When I was diagnosed with depression, I was a designer in advertising. I was an art director. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I wanted to be a writer. But I remember asking myself, well, what did you love to do as a child? And I was that girl, like, on recess, sitting out in the grass writing poetry <laughs> and writing poems. Like, <laughs> And I got made fun of so much for it. But I loved that I could just write in my journal and, like, look at the sky and make poems. So I think if we go back to that time in our life, that leads us to our purpose. And we can combine them because when you're truly living your purpose or when you, I'm sorry, when you're truly living your passion, that is your purpose to be more love in the world. Really, you're doing what you love and you're, because of that, you're putting more love in the world. And that's ultimately, I feel why we're here. That makes so much sense. And I I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, So I was really intrigued by something towards the beginning of your book, actually. Um, when you started talking about this journey that you took, which I thought was also incredibly courageous to to say to yourself that, yes, what I really want to do is I want to travel the world and I'm going to travel the world for a year. That was very courageous. But then as you traveled, um, you discovered something about yourself, which you have a chapter titled The Paris Syndrome. Mm, um, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I'm sure most everybody can relate to that. Yes. And so, in fact, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is, I call them joy busters. These are the things that hold us back from really being who we're meant to be. And the number one barrier is, well, in no particular order, there's a few, but one of the main ones is expectations. And so I realized without even knowing it that I had expectations on on, on my journey. Here I was, I set out to to travel the world full time. I pulled out all the places I wanted to go. I created an itinerary and a lot of the places that I had decided to go were recommendations from other travelers. So they'd say, you have to go to Portugal. So amazing. And I'd go to places like Portugal and I would actually find myself feeling completely underwhelmed and let down. And I was like, this is a beautiful country. Like, no doubt, it's wonderful. But I had such high hopes going in based on what I had heard that this is kind of uh, feels a little superficial. And then I started doing research deeper because I was writing the book. And I discovered that there's a real transient travel disorder called the Paris Syndrome. And it actually affects Japanese tourists. It started as Japanese tourists or Asians visiting Paris. And they had such high expectations of perhaps seeing the Eiffel Tower. It would bless them or give them all these insights into a beautiful life and they would feel happy. But then they would get there and they would feel, again, let down, underwhelmed. And sometimes it would cause paranoia. It would cause anxiety. And so they've, it's, it's actually a real disorder in the mental community, in the mental health community that they've done research on. And I realized, oh my gosh, not only, I'm not in Paris, but I'm having the Paris syndrome in other countries. And I actually, you don't have to be a traveler to have the Paris syndrome. Paris syndrome is having expectations. And we do this back home. And I realized I was living my whole life with expectations. And wherever you go, there you are. So here I was living out the greatest dream of my life for two decades. I wanted to be a traveler. And there I was. And I was like, oh, I'm still me. So I got to look at this deeper. 
What expectations do I have? How are they holding me back? And that's part of what I do in the Joy Seeker. I take people through journal prompts. There's joy jaunts to help you remove expectations. And then I said, you know what? I have to reframe how I'm looking at this journey. No longer do I need to be so excited or overly expect anything. I just need to have each country be what it is and embrace it and appreciate it. And the very next place I went was Barcelona and I fell in love. There's even a chapter in the book called Everyone Needs a Barcelona because <laughs> I had let go of all expectations. And now coming, and now I'm back in America in my home base in Portland, Oregon. And the, the greatest journey the Joy Seeker book gave me and the journey that readers will go on is the releasing of expectations and being in the here and now. So expectations are, are, very interesting because I hear it constantly in my practice. People will come in and they will say they're working on perhaps losing weight. So they will say, well, when I get to X, then I will be happy. Or in terms of work, when I get to this level of management, then I will be happy. So we're creating these expectations and these goals um, for our happiness and what and then people reach their goal but they're still not happy because of yeah. this exact thing um exactly and it it goes back to what you had said originally i guess about how um having this joy ex goal expectation outside of ourselves um as opposed to having it come from within um, yeah. And I think this is also, I talk about in the book, The Joy Buster, of we expect things to look a certain way as far as uh, we feel off track or behind, or we feel like we're not where we should be in part because of that. When I get XYZ, you know, the goal weight, the soulmate, the, you know, out of debt, all these things we're chasing. And it's interesting because many of us, we have this secret goal. Maybe it's an outer goal we share. You know, we go to therapy and coaches to be happy. We want to be happy. And we right. think in getting those things, we'll be happy. But I, Eleanor Roosevelt said that happiness isn't, a, res, isn't a, um, a, a result or a thing. I'm kind of butchering the quote, but it isn't a thing you aim for. Right. It is a byproduct of an of a intentional life. It is a byproduct of a life well lived. So what I take people through in Joy Seeker and what I share in my practice is it, we should switch from focusing on happiness because happiness is fleeting. It's a feeling and emotion, but joy is a state of being. And joy is something within us already. And when we learn how to, and that's what the book, why I wrote the book, so we can learn how to be in the journey. When we learn how to embrace the journey and be where we are, all of a sudden, these success, these big high peak moments we're chasing, they are part of a glorious life, but they don't define our life. All of it becomes more rich and rewarding. So it's almost like unearthing that joy that's we've buried the joy deep within us by sort of building up all these expectations all around us. And it sounds like we're unearthing it by letting go of, of various things outside of us. Yes, um, I believe so. Absolutely. I believe, uh, you know, I think it's A Course in Miracles that actually says your outside world is a reflection of your internal state. And so if we're feeling like we're not good enough, then we're constantly going to be reaching for these things outside of us to try to fill that. And that's when we get these bigger cars or we get more clothes or we go on more binges of, you know, movies or food or whatever it is, but it, it never feels enough. And that's the place that I was in my life. Enough was never enough. 
And that's in part when I was going through my grief with Tucker, but I was also realizing that I'm trying to fill this empty hole instead of trying to fill it with stuff. I need to look at why this hole is here. And the hole for, for all of us is really, I believe we're looking for more authenticity. We're looking for more realness for our true selves because as soon as I started being more authentic and real with myself, all of that anxiety went away. All of that fear and the depression, it really, it healed itself because I was living my truth. That's, that's amazing. So we're going to go to a quick commercial break. So please stay tuned. We'll be talking some more with Shannon Kaiser, author and coach about joy. So we will be right back to perspectives in a few minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere. Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, The Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. The days of monitoring our health through smart technology are here. Get a better understanding of your menstrual cycle and fertility with the Bluetooth-enabled DAISY. It's the user-friendly tracker that draws on knowledge from over 30 years of research. FDA-compliant and scientifically backed, DAISY tracks your cycle through body temperature, fertility status is displayed using a simple color code. Red for when you're fertile, green for when you're not, and yellow for when Daisy is learning more about you. Bear the device with the app and email and share data from your phone. Daisy puts you in control of your health the smart way. 
And now back to perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm here in conversation with Sharon Ka- Shannon Kaiser, author of The Joy Seeker, her latest book on finding joy and finding the joy from within. So, Shannon, um, I'd love it if we could talk a little bit about how we connect with our true self. You, you list out seven ways that we can do that. And um, so I was hoping you could sort of walk us through those so we can help the listeners understand how to find that joy within. Oh, yeah, perfect. You know, it's interesting because I think we chase the joy and as we were talking about before, and it's often because we're kind of looking for more of something we don't have. And what I realized is it's a belonging. What we really want is more connection Mm -hmm. and more belonging. And so in these seven different ways that we truly can connect with ourselves, it's about having a sense of belonging. And the very first one, as we talked about, was uh, let go of expectations. Now, it's easy to say, okay, let go of expectations. Right. <laughs> you know, we've been trying, right? But really what it is, is it's recognizing that they totally rob us of joy. And when we expect things to be a certain way, we're, to- we're really missing out on what's happening right now. And so a power question you could ask yourself is, well, well what expectation do I have? And how is it hindering my ability to see what amazingness is happening right now? Because if we're expecting something different than what is, it really does come back to gratitude and appreciation for what you do have. And then the expectations can kind of free themselves. So letting go of expectations is a really big one. Another thing I think um, that's, did you want to say something there? No, I will. I was just going to say that even stopping and asking ourselves, what is our, what is our expectation here and how is it different from what is? It's such a difficult exercise to do on your own. So is that something you work with people or were you able to do it yourself? Or do you have suggestions for how to make it easier for individuals who are trying to go through that process on their own? Yeah, of course. I think, well, of course, the book, right? Reading the book. But for me personally, um, journal questions became very powerful. Asking the questions, because I think sometimes we get into autopilot. We get caught up in all the things that we have to do in our day-to-day life. We know something's off. We feel anxious. We feel a little bit off, like, uh, you know, that kind of uneasiness bubbling within, but we're not sure. And when we stop, and pause, take time each day to go inward, instead of keep pushing outward. And that is when we can really see the truth, which is that a lot of times expectations are an illusion, they're trying to, it's fear manifested in the future, you know, it's also hopes and dreams. And the truth is, sometimes with our expectations, we don't have control, like for you, you said earlier, um, with different goals, you know, when I lose the weight, when I meet my soulmate, you know, some sometimes the things we really want are are harder and it's harder for us to get to those because we don't have control. So we make expectations in our mind to kind of give us the sense of control. And I talk about that in the chapter about called the good fear. Mm-hmm. We have fears and one of the tools we can use, we have these fears that will get extra loud, especially when you're stepping closer to your purpose and passion. Yes. But one of the tools is the worry to wonder. And this is where your feet, we're often anxious and worried about what could happen. But when we recognize that worry is a form of fear and fear is there to protect us, but a lot of times it gets extra loud right before because you are stepping into 
something that you haven't done and our fear of the unknown gets really ramped up. But also, as you step forward into what you really want, your fear knows it won't, you won't need it anymore. And so that's the truth. When you take steps forward, all of that anxiety goes away. And so the worry to wonder tool is to really, you can write them out or you say, I, I'm worried about this. You know, I'm worried about X, Y, Z. And then you turn it into an opposite statement, which is a wonder statement. I wonder how amazing it's going to be when I do leave the job that's suffocating my soul. I wonder how wonderful it'll be when I reach more clients with my purpose and passion work. I wonder how good it'll feel when I'm free and past this anxiety, when I'm through this tough part of my life. And so you start to retrain your brain to focus on the possibilities and the wonder of the future instead of the limitations of the present. That's great. And you actually talked a little bit about how the fear grew for you as you were getting closer and closer to the date when you were leaving to travel for this year, that was something you had absolutely wanted to do for so long and planned and prepared for it. And then it sounds like you almost got overcome by the fear. Oh my gosh, it was intense. And the people often ask now that I'm back, were you scared on your trip, a solo traveler around the world? (laughs) And I went to some uh, country, I went to 16 countries and 28 cities. And the answer is always, you know, I wasn't really scared. But three days before I left, I was terrified. (laughs) I was so terrified. I actually woke up and I share this in the book, I had such anxiety that my vision became blurry. I was very fuzzy in the head. I wasn't able, it was so debilitating that it was, I was having a physical reaction uh, to this. And I said, well, what is this? I know I'm healthy. I'm in good shape. I don't understand what this is. And then, you know, I realized very clearly my intuition was like, this is your fear. And my, my inner voice, my fear got really loud. It's like, who do you think you are? And this is how you know you're functioning from a fear place because your doubter comes in. And it was like, Shannon, this is so silly. What are you trying to prove? This dream is, you're never going to, you know, make it all the way. It just was saying all these really derogatory and mean things to me. And I just listened to it and allowed it to be because I realized we can exist beside our fear. But what I did was I, I allowed it to be. A lot of times we will, we will do things, drink over, eat over, spend over, pick fights with people over. You know, we, we try to run away from our fear. But the process that I take people through in Joy Seeker and the true transformation happens when you allow yourself to coexist with your fear. That's why I call it the good fear. Because mm-hmm. your fear is just like a child. It just needs attention. And when you give it that attention or allow it to be what it is, it will dissipate. And within a couple hours, it went away and I was able to pack and get my, you know, everything in order for the trip. And I did not feel or feel that fear at all again, ever. That's great. That's great. I think it's also very important for people to realize because I do think that fear um, debilitates people. And so they sort of stop at the fear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we do. You know, and I think it is about the skills as far as the tools. And we have the tools and the awareness to know that when you realize your fear is, is just part of being alive. Mm -hmm. And I often say, and I share in the book, we learn the way on the way, but the how is in the now. So anytime your anxiety or fear gets so overwhelming and you're thinking about quitting or turning back or questioning everything, just say, well, the how is in the now. What one thing can I do right now to open up? What one thing can I do right now? And that leads back to the, the seven ways to connect to your true self. The, mm-hmm. One of the ways that we talk about, um, the second one is to go with the way things are going. And I realized while I was traveling, 
I had an itinerary and I was going to check everything off, but really fast into my trip, about two weeks, and I said, this is not going to work. I need to relax and surrender into the journey. And we can do this at any point in our life. We don't have to be traveling the world. When we can surrender to the, the day and let it unfold, one of the, I have principles with the joy seeker. Mm-hmm. I created three principles and one of them is to see our life as an unfolding creative adventure. And by adopting this mindset, we really fold into the way things are going and we can practice being more present. We accept what is, there's a freedom in releasing yourself to the moment. So that's a powerful one as well. And so I would say, ask if you're um, doing journaling, maybe you're taking this as a little workshop here, Uh ask yourself, um, where can I stop controlling and release expectations? Where can I stop controlling the outcome and allow myself to go with the way things are going? Well, I think that fear also plays into that because I think when people get afraid, they try to hold on more to whatever they can. And so then they try to control what's happening around them thinking that that will help them overcome their fear. So allowing yourself to let go and let things happen as they do. It is so important. And the biggest kind of aha for me in starting when I went on into my joy-seeking journey, I was having a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. And I share in the book, once I stopped ignoring and avoiding the stress, Mm -hmm. I discovered that the anxiety wasn't trying to limit me, but free me from a life that no longer felt good. And I think this is really important. It's probably my favorite message in the whole book because a lot of times we have these moments where we're holding on so tight, right. but there's a new life trying to emerge. There's a new situation. There's a new opportunity. There's a new you, a next level you. But if we're holding on to what the universe is asking us to release, it's going to be really hard for that new to come in. And it's scary. It's scary. I've been there. I know. I wrote about it. <laughs> but if we let ourselves surrender and know that we're being guided and, and trust the process, then really we can open up to more, more possibilities. That's great advice. That's really great advice. Yeah. And so the third one is to plan less so we can live more. And this really goes with go, go with the way things are going in your life. We tried, I, John Lennon said it, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. It's yes. one of my favorite quotes. Cause it's like, you're and I, when I was traveling, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the theme. Stop making plans. It, so many amazing things happened when I stopped planning. I was invited into locals homes. I made great friends with, with, you know, all people in different cultures and I stopped trying to control every little thing. And that's, that's a beautiful gift that the joy seeker journey and the process in the book can give people because now I'm back and I realize how much more joyful it is to, yes, we have goals. I still have ideas for the future, but I'm no longer attached to those things having to happen for me to be happy. I'm really in the moment now because I have allowed myself to live more now by planning less. And have you been able to sustain that easily or is it an ongoing process that you have to be very mindful of? Well, I think it's, um, it's, it's just like life in the sense that I thought it was going to be like a forever thing, but it's definitely more of a mindful thing. It's a daily practice. It's a focus. I have shifted and grown on the inside. When you do the work, you shift, but then there's always more work. And so now it's like a next level of, of awareness. It's kind of a deeper, deeper relationship with yourself, which is beautiful. And and really it's the ultimate relationship with spirit and your higher power. But what I have found is taking off the expectation that it has to be fixed or it needs to be, I need to be happy all the time has been a great gift. So it's definitely 
a daily practice, but a glorious, beautiful way to live, you know? Well, and I like that point you just made about, and we can talk about it a little bit more later as well. I'd like to come back to sort of highlight it again, but this point about it's not, you're not always joyful. This is not, we're not seeking this 24 seven state that this is part of the joy is not having the joy all the time. Yes. And I think that's interesting because the book is called Joy Seeker. I went on a Joy Seeker journey, but really it's about, it's, it's so much more because what it's about is authentic living and being true to yourself and living the life you're made for, which means that when you do that, you can find joy in the depression or the sadness. And the depression isn't something that defines you. It's a, it's a, maybe something that happens for a couple of days and it goes, you know, I still get sad. I still get depressed. It's part of living a rich, glorious life. And I talk about that too, because while I was traveling, mm-hmm. I thought, and people were like, oh, you traveled the world. Was it the most amazing thing ever? <laughs> of course, it sounds like it would be, and it was. But I got to tell you, most of the time, I was overwhelmed in my mind trying to figure out the language. I was in these countries that had different monetary systems. I didn't know the new transportation. So my brain was working overtime to try to learn more, which I love. I love thriving in my out of my comfort zone. But I was hot and sweaty. I was like crying one day and then the very next day I would see the most amazing thing in the world. And so I recognized how this was a metaphor for life. We the joy buster, the thing that blocks us from joy is that we think it has to look a certain way that our life is supposed to, basically, we feel like we have to be happy all the time as we talked about. So even the book being called Joy Seeker, it's not saying, hey, you're going to be so in bliss all the time. It's saying, I will teach you and you can learn how to find the bliss no matter what is going on in your life. That's wonderful. That's, you know, a lot of the techniques that I teach uh, with clients about stress and anxiety, I often talk about how it's, it's not going to stop you from being stressed. It's not going to stop you from being anxious. It's going to help you reduce the time you feel that way, or it's going to um, help, help you become more resilient and you're going to be able to switch back and forth so that, um, because that's what is, that, that's what life is. We're constantly shifting between emotions and feelings. Yes, that's exactly it. I read a quote the other day from a wellness center, Rhythmia in Costa Rica, they posted it. And it was something along the lines of um, healing isn't a destination. I'm so glad I'm not healed because that would mean that I'm done and I'd be dead. And it was along the ideas of, it was really kind of focusing on we're here to grow. We're here to open up into who we really are. And and healing is is a journey and a process. And we're always focused on needing to be fixed and healed and enlightened. But honestly, that's not the the joy is in the journey. And that's really what I think this process is what it gets to. Yes. And I, and I think you make that point really clearly. And um, it's true. It's we're, we're constantly changing and shifting and we're learning and we're growing as we move along this journey. And that quote says it just perfectly. So we're going to take another quick commercial break and we will come back to talk a little bit more about some of the other concepts and maybe we'll finish out the balance of the seven ways to connect your true self. Um, So don't go away. We'll be right back to talk some more about joy with Shannon Kaiser. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidhi Shapital, and I'm here in conversation with Shannon Kaiser. Please get in touch with me via email at drvforkids at yahoo.com if you have any questions or comments. I would love to hear from you. So, Shannon, before the break, we were talking about the seven ways to connect with your true self. Um, Maybe we can tie up what was left of that and then before we move on to another topic yeah yeah so there's a list of course in the book where i take people through uh, the different ways we can connect to our true self and get a sense of belonging and we talked some already there's definitely focusing on your passion and that will kind of lead you to more purpose in life and also the value of play i think we often overlook we're a society where we wear exhaustion and working like a badge and i feel that play is not just about oh, I'm just going to, you know, waste time. It's really about joy in the moment. If you think about being a child, you would go back to a moment when you were just having so much fun doing what you love. That's because you were playing. And that's one of the reasons my website is called Play With The World, because it really is about giving yourself permission to just be in the wonder and awe of being alive in the moment. So play more is so important. I think if anyone's kind of doing a journaling experience, you know, has a pen and paper, ask yourself, what do you love to do? And do more of it, because that's play in itself. And then, of course, we did talk about the value of coming together and working with like-minded people and just connecting with with purpose and passion. And coming together is really key. And uh, the final one that I would share is to practice more self-love. 
So often we feel that self-love is selfish, but self-love is the foundation for everything, everything. I have a whole book called The Self-Love Experiment that I wrote before this book, Mm -hmm. and I would not have been able to write The Joy Seeker until I truly found self-love. And so I really believe that when we're talking about self-love, it's about compassion, it's about acceptance for yourself, and it's about really knowing that you do matter and everything you're doing is part of the greater good. So how do we give ourselves permission to play and for self-love? Because I think people understand it um, at a cerebral level. You know, it it makes sense. Um, You need to take care of yourself. The whole thing on airplanes where they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before helping the person next to you. Um, But in the moment, how do we start giving ourselves permission to do this or yeah, force ourselves maybe. <laughs> yeah. So in the, in the book, I actually talk about the, the overgiver, mm-hmm. and I feel like especially people in our, in our, you know, caregivers, people in our practice and people who have big hearts empaths, we tend to give past our capacity. And what, what happens when we do this, we do this from a place of love. We do this from a place of wanting to care for others But when we are not giving ourselves the care, when we are not showing up for ourselves first, that love that we're giving to them is only a a halfway version. And we don't realize it. And that's why we're exhausted. That's why we're feeling totally drained at the end of our, our days. And so what I often say to answer your question is to really reverse it. And as you, it really is about just saying, I matter. And I am going to do this. And I know that this is important. So taking the time to do it for you is really life-saving. You could start by creating a me matters list, which is maybe a list of of self-care activities that really help you connect to yourself. Like I did this when I was overcoming my depression and trying to find more Mm self-love. It included things like nature walks. It included cuddle sessions with my dog and bubble baths and making sure that I moved my body to an exercise that I loved, which for me is, you know, spin biking or, or, you know, at the time it was running. So when we have this, if you're a list person, make the list, check off, you know, not everything on the list, but pick something. Say, okay, I'm, I'm not feeling connected to myself. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm going to practice self-care today. And self-care is self-love. So it's not so much about forcing ourselves. It is about allowing ourselves to show up for ourselves. Because ultimately, we are the ones who live with ourselves. We are the ones who are in our bodies. We are the one we're showing up for everyone else. We reverse it, show up for ourselves first. And then we truly show up for others in such a more authentic way, a deeper way. Our, our caregiving, our efforts, everything becomes that much more solid. That makes, that makes so much sense. And it's actually something that I think we start to recognize once we do it. Um, it's exactly it, true. It's yeah. very powerful when you actually do come to another interaction or relationship with somebody, whether it's your children, your partner, other family, friends, co-workers, the energy that comes with you is so much greater when you have been able to take the time to practice that self-love. Yes, it's so true. And that's exactly an example. And you can also think about someone you know who really represents self-love and they have boundaries. They are able to say no. And sometimes it really bothers, you know, I um, have seen it where it really bothers if someone says no, we take it personally. But really what it is, is they know what is going to be caring for them. 
you know, they honor themselves first. And, and then what happens, they come back in a loving way. And even Mother Teresa, she had with her, with her sisters and her practice, she made sure that every nun took, like, a, I guess she called it a sabbatical, uh-huh. a year off every certain amount of time to because she knew that the efforts, the caretaking, giving of yourself to others, you have to give to yourself. So she made it mandatory for them to have self-love, self-care years. Oh, wow. That I, I had not realized that. That's, that's quite remarkable. Uh, yeah. Um, well, that, that's, that's something that we could use as an example for ourselves. Totally, right? There you wow. go. Mother Teresa said it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> she applied it. So we'll try that for ourselves. And that's kind of what I did last year. I didn't even realize, but I was going on a year of ultimate self-care. And I'm thankful it turned into a book. Yeah. So, one other topic that I really wanted to touch on is money. <laughs> money, <laughs> money, <laughs> money takes the joy out of uh, for so many people, even though they think that that's what they want. It's a it's a complicated um, concept, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's kind of a complicated relationship, if you will, and that's what I talk about in the book. I mean. I even have a whole section because I'm like, you know, we can't really talk about joy if we don't bring up money because I find that so many people are thinking that money is going to buy them happiness or bring them happiness. We put a lot of power on money. Right. And then you hear statistics like people who win the lottery are, are super depressed or it, Jim Carrey said it best, I wish every single person became rich and famous so they could see that it is not the answer. <laughs> and this is why we see so many celebrities who are wildly successful with money and fame and accolades, but they are completely destroyed on the inside. I think what we first want to do is redirect how we're looking at success and redefine it. So success isn't necessarily more followers or more money in the bank or more of anything. Success can be living a life that is true to you, connecting to your spiritual practice. Success can be really growing into more love. And when it comes to money, there's a couple things that I talk about in the book about really how we can transform our joy with money. And one is to look at it as a relationship. You know, sometimes we feel really regretful when we're buying stuff or we're mad that we have to pay bills or we're, we're worried so much about where the money is going to come from. This is an energetic lack, you know, from a law of attraction standpoint, it's really strangling us. Mm-hmm. And then we feel like we're not good enough or like we can't, we're not able to get ahead. And then we compare ourselves to others, people who have more money. Um, one thing that I learned from Louise Hay, she talks about in some of her books, the late Louise Hay, is to look at it as a relationship, but start to be grateful, start to be grateful for your money. So I did this. And when I would pay bills, I would kiss the checks and say, I'm so thankful that I'm doing this. And the biggest trick for me was actually turning the word debt into investment. You know, we have these debts. I right. And we spend from a place of scarcity. But when you're talking about investing, that's from a place of prosperity. And you start to attract more of what you focus on. So again, focus on what you want. So instead of focusing on how you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, focus on the joy of bringing in more quality into your life, of spending things that mean something to you. So all those little tips can help as well. That's I love the, the way of looking at debt versus investment. I think that is the perfect pairing to turn something negative into something positive. Um, 
so I really, I really like that, uh, that yeah. concept that you have there. Um, and in our last few minutes together, we have about five minutes left. Um, you talk about this concept of creating your ideal life and sort of describing it. And it sort of feels connected to this idea of shifting from the negative way of looking at something to the positive way of looking at something. Can you talk about this technique of creating your ideal life? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's why the cover of the book and the audiobook and the ebook is paint swatches. Yeah. And it's a big paint of pink and blue because really our life is like a canvas. And it's no matter what you've been through or what you've gone through, you still have a blank canvas right here because we get to create and write out our future. And a big part of being alive is to be creative. And I talk in the book about how we are all creative. To be human is to be creative. But sometimes we're like, no, I'm not a writer. I'm not a painter. No, I'm not creative. But creating could be taking care of yourself. It could be a great conversation with someone. Creating is living. It's about bringing more joy into the moment. So in order to create your ideal life, you have to be intentional with everything that you do. And it's as simple as asking ourselves the questions. Like, when's the last time you asked yourself, is what I'm doing really bringing me joy? Or am I just an autopilot? Am I just going through the motions? Or when's the last time you asked yourself, is, are the choices that I'm making aligned with the person I truly want to become? Or the person I'm working to be? Or is this making me um, a better person for my family, for my community? Or is this just trying to fill a void within? So I really believe the questions are a beautiful part to opening up to what joy seeking is really about and creating the life you are made for. So it also blends into acceptance. As I'm listening to you talk, I hear a lot of things that you're saying are about accepting what is, accepting who we are, acceptance in general of what this journey is as we remove expectations. Is that... I think that's accurate in the sense that one of the biggest fears is we worry, and it's a joy buster, we worry about what other people think of us, mm -hmm. and we're terrified of making a choice that, that would shame the family or shame others in the, you know, we're living for other people. And really what the joy seeker process in the book does, it's a gift to your true self because it's about giving yourself permission to be who you are. So many of us are functioning as a buried version of ourselves. We have fears, expectations. We're doing things that we think will be good because it's what society tells it wants of us, you know? Right. And, and really, I have learned that the fix for our happiness is to actually be who you really are instead of who the world tells you that you should be or that you need to be. And it is about accepting who you are, but so many of us are afraid to look at who we are because we've been functioning as a version that is not real to us. But when you remove those layers, and that's why the books let go of what's holding you back. And that's why all the coaching that I do is it's about letting go of who you think you should be or who you think you are to reveal who you truly are. Who you are is magnificent. You are gorgeous. You are amazing. You are exactly as you're supposed to be. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. And that is the acceptance. That is the gift. That's the gift of the joy seeker. That's the gift of, of really allowing yourself to be who you are. That, that's a beautiful message. So how would you recommend that our listeners find you? And how would you recommend that they use the Joy Seeker book? Yeah, so the Joy Seeker book is available at bookstores, your favorite online retailer. It's, it's out now. It's everywhere. I am on book tour. I, you can go to my 
website, playwiththeworld.com and look at events. And the book is also an audiobook and ebook. And I, on my social media channel, Shannon Kaiser writes, I'm always posting free content and inspirational tips. I love staying in touch with people. So really, it's just about creating more joy for yourself in your life and living with intention. Great. And when people are reading the book, do you have any recommendations on how they go through it? Is it something that people oh, you know, should take time through? Or? Well, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because I think everyone, the book meets you where you are. And so I've designed the book for you to be able to open to any page and get a pullout quote the way it's designed. And if you need something in the moment, uh, but it does work really well when you read from the beginning to the end. It's separated into parts and you go through a realization phase all the way to a releasing, allowing, being phase. And I do suggest it's totally up to you because everyone learns different. But if you get a journal, I've had people who have already read the book and they said, oh my gosh, I had a journal through it and it was the best thing. So whether you like to journal or you just answer the questions or you write in the book itself, do the work. There's uh, journal prompts in what I call joy jaunts. And the work is where the fulfillment happens. That's where the true transformation happens and the joy is in the journey. Well, thank you so much, Sharon, for, Shannon, for um, sharing all this information with us and for helping us figure out how we can find joy from within ourselves. This is a very important conversation, and I'm, and I'm sure everyone who's listening has learned something from it. Um, Thank you. It's been such a good thing to be here with you today. And if you guys uh, grab the book, um, go to the website for some extra bonuses as well. Wonderful. So this is Dr. Vidisha Patel, your host for Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next time for another edition. In the meantime, feel free to email me at drvforkids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you. Have a wonderful week. Until next time. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.